This is Ingewikkeld Sessions, the podcast. Organized by Ingewikkeld, each month you'll get a live stream on YouTube and a podcast on the same topic. That topic is always related to software development in one way or another. If you don't want to miss a thing, subscribe to both our YouTube channel and podcast. Let's start. Um, welcome by this Ingewikkeld session about your local development setup. Uh, we're going to talk today with uh, Stefan and uh, Tiago about the history of the development setup developers are using at their local machines to build a, a PHP website. And we will also focus a bit on how um, applications were deployed in the past. Stefan, could you please introduce yourself first in a short? Okay. Well, my name is Stefan Kalmerschap. I'm one of the people of Ingewikkeld, uh, one of the original founders even. Uh, and I've been working with, uh, with PHP and web development since the late 90s. Okay, thank you. And Tiago, could you please introduce yourself? Uh... Yeah, uh, so my name is Tiago Bergman. I also work at Ingewikkeld. What a coincidence. <laughs> um, I've, uh, well, Stefan mentioned how long he's working with PHP. I had to think, but I, yeah, since I was 11 or something. So it's uh, probably for like 20 plus years, but I don't ask me the exact amount. <laughs> Quite some time. Okay. So, um, yeah, we're all um, uh, experienced uh, PHP developers and we have seen different kind of setups. Um, but since Stefan is working at the longest time with PHP, um, can you explain to the audience how um, your first local PHP setup looked like? What, how did you install and run your first PHP application? Uh, when I first started working with PHP, um, uh, I had to install PHP separately on my local machine and then install Apache separately on my local machine and then configure Apache to know how to uh, use PHP, uh, which back then was, uh, was uh, an interesting setup, uh, which took quite a while. Um, and then everything was running on your local machine. That was it. And did you do that on, on Windows? or uh, Because yeah. most people were running Windows at that time, I imagine yeah uh, when i started i was running windows um uh, there were some people around me that were using linux uh which might have been more easy to install maybe the the, the local setup uh but uh, but i started on windows uh and that was i don't know which version of windows probably i don't know 97 windows 97 the, there's no 97, there's 95 or 98. Uh, 98, whatever. <laughs> 98, probably then. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that's actually, uh, uh, you had to install PHP on your local machine uh, yeah. just by download, downloading some kind of setup file from the php.net website. Uh, from what I can remember, when I first started, there was not even like an installer or something. You just downloaded and, uh, and unzipped something, and that contained everything that you needed. And then you had to manually configure Apache to know where the files were that you needed. Uh, so even the, the, the Apache um, module uh, that still 
kind of loaded uh, in, in the current versions Apache is using, oh, of course, with an older PHP version. But yeah, ba basically. Well, uh, I'm trying to remember because this is a long time ago, but I don't think the the Apache module even existed. I think it was some kind of CGI setup where Apache would need some kind of access to the PHP uh, executable yeah. or something. Um, like in, in the initial versions, there was no uh, multi-PHP or, or something like that. Uh, there was nothing uh, so like that. So it was that. really a CGI module. Yeah. Um, well, uh, from the time that people were also using C and other uh, programming languages to uh, to compile something that could be served by Apache. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's an interesting setup. <laughs> <laughs> that was quite, uh, that, that, that's way before the first time I started with PHP. Um, uh, Tiago, how was it for you? What What was your first setup? Did you? do this as well by using an executable um well sort of i, th I think i started a bit later than uh, than stefan but it was kind of the same setup only there were tools available that which were named xamp or lamp or wamp or i think you had a couple of them yeah um which did all of this installation process for you so you just installed this one program and then there was this, I remember still, there was this window where you can click start and stop. And if you click start, then it starts, I think it was Apache, probably with the same CGI setup. I'm not sure sure exactly what it was, but uh, yeah, you had your own local uh, your setup own local running. Server. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And how was, do you remember how this setup was accessible for you in a browser? Because you need, you need PHP in some way to... Or a web browser to uh, to visit the website. Um, how that, did that work? Did you have to edit a host file or? Um uh, no, I think I think uh, when I started, it was simply a local host, and that was it. And if you wanted to switch to another project, then you had to change your Apache <laughs> configuration to to point to the other uh, other directory for the for the other project. And uh, and that was it. Uh, at some point later, uh, uh, you could indeed set up virtual hosts. Uh, well, you could probably could back when I started, but 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 we didn't. Uh, and then later, you could set up different virtual hosts and then uh, uh, use your host file uh, yeah. to to point to those different uh, different virtual hosts. And I remember back then, um, most people just. Put everything in the in the web route uh, because that was the way to yep. write a PHP oh, yeah. application. Yep. Yep. Index.php as a font controller, yep. but everything was a separate <laughs> PHP file that could be accessed via, uh, via the browser. Yep. So, including your uh, database password, everything was in the uh, yep. uh, in, in, in the uh, web route. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and uh, when I just started. Uh, Security was not really something that we were really thinking about. So even the files where the passwords were in, they were not called uh, config.php, but they were called config.inc or something because it's an included <laughs> yeah. file. Uh, so and since Apache wasn't uh, set up to to process that as a PHP file, it would just display it as as plain text. <laughs> as plain text. Yeah, that was definitely <laughs> wow. something that. Uh, looking back at those days. Uh, 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 we've done some really, really weird stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And 
Okay, so now you wrote your first website, and how do did you deploy that thing on on, on a web server so it would be public accessible? Well, I would open my FTP client and uh, connect to the FTP server of my uh, my hosting provider. Uh, and then uh, I would upload the files one by one uh, or sync them all at once. But uh, but yeah, it would go over FTP. I remember some people are will also uh, trying to create backups on the on the FTP server. So you would get a, 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 a directory called uh, a bug or something like that, um, containing the old version of your website. Yeah. Um, or maybe if you were more experienced you would create a zip file of a ver of a, of a version uh, of a version and upload that well the the the, uh, the 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 zip file thing that came later uh, because um, uh, at least when i started uh, we wouldn't have ssh access to to uh, those web machines servers. to the yeah. web servers uh, the only access that you had was ftp it wasn't until later when you got ssh access that you were able to also um, uh, SSH into the machine and be able to uh, to to execute commands there. Um, uh, initially, it was just FTP, and that was really slow because it had to do, do every file one by one, uh, put it put it onto the server. So that took quite a while. Yeah, yeah. But at least you didn't have frameworks like Symfony and Laravel back in those days. So yeah. the, the amount of files were quite limited. Right? Well, that depended, of course, if you if you uh, included any external libraries in your project, uh, because back then you had SourceForge uh, or Hotscripts.com, where you could download libraries uh, and uh, uh, put them into your project, and you, then you had to upload them. You couldn't do something like composer install on your machine yeah, that would on, be on your server. Very very nice subject to talk about yeah. later. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> since um, rise of composer is a, is a different story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think we will come back on that later uh, in a in the next session. <coughs> um, so <coughs> now we have this this uh, local thing uh, of uh, of the local installation, and people find it found it quite hard to to share the same configuration, um, and I think. There came up some solutions uh, back then. Can you explain, Tiago, a bit what was the next step in that uh, evolution of your local development? Um, well, for me, it was um, I was already working for uh, for a company developing software, basically, um, and we had uh, we all had Linux machines all running Ubuntu, and we had this README somewhere or a file that says install this and it would take like a day or something to configure your machine because you had to install php and you had to install some extensions of php of course and then there were some other instances you had to install so uh but basically it was a list and of, of things you needed to install and then uh well probably you needed some help as well <laughs> and at the end of, of the day or maybe two then you got everything running and then you get some weird error nobody got before yep Yep, uh, and also like for example, uh, configuration of your host. It was just uh, well, you should get that from this one guy. He, he has the latest version, and he just copied the text and then sent it to you or by email, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that was your uh, your setup. So uh, it it wasn't really 
reproducible or stable, but um, yeah, it worked. That sounds like we, we need some solution to, to be able to, to reproduce those setups. Um, does anyone from you remember uh, what the, um, the, the alternative uh, was that came up at that moment? Well, the first step, I think, um, and that was uh, uh, to, to have virtual machines. Um, uh, I can remember using uh, VMware uh, and, and later also VirtualBox. And basically what happened was you would get a, 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 an image of a couple of gigabytes uh, and uh, that image... Uh, you could use to spin up a virtual machine that would be a complete virtual machine that contained everything, including the code, uh, which also meant that uh, you had to code inside the virtual machine or uh, you had to set up uh, a file share to your local machine to be able to use your, your own editor. Um, uh, to But that was really slow because the, the, the virtual machine file sharing was a pretty slow system. Mm -hmm. uh, so it sometimes took a while for the files to synchronize into the virtual machine. Yeah, the 30-second uh, page refreshes were uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. coming up all day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so sharing a virtual uh, machine image, um, maybe even via a USB stick or something like that. Yep, um, yeah, that happened. Um, and always trying to remember where the latest version of that image was <laughs> and who, who had the latest version. Yeah, that was literally usually the way that things worked is uh, someone created the initial virtual machine and then uh, gave it to someone else and, and uh, that person would run into an issue and fix that issue on, on their virtual machine and then the next person that would join the project would, it was more like, okay, who did the latest changes to this virtual machine and we copy the machine from there and, and yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. hand it over and that was basically the way that things worked yes okay. <laughs> and then I came uh, I remember that there was something called um, Vagrant that came up yep um, people were able to uh, download some kind of base image from the internet um, and could be proficient in some way. Yeah, yeah. The, the the great thing about Vagrant was that uh, you you didn't have to share the whole virtual machine anymore. The the image uh, of a couple of gigabytes uh, because the base uh, material was on the internet and it would basically provision your local uh, setup based on the configuration. Yeah. Tiago, do you remember the, 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 the Vagrant setups? I do, yes. Yeah? Um, I actually created quite a few of them myself back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, but the Vagrant setup was, well, like you said, there's a base image. So, for example, some Linux distribution. But then on top of that, of course, you need to install whatever you need for your project. So yeah. there's some provisioning that needs to happen. And um, most of the time, this was just some dirty bash script that just ran a few commands to to install everything. But then every once in a while, new packages came out or a new version of Linux or whatever, and then <coughs> everything was broken. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it took quite some maintenance to... Uh, well, once you 
have it running, then it would be fine. But if you would start from scratch again, then most of the time it, it would not really work uh, straight away. So yeah. it was... Okay. Yeah. Uh, and how did you deploy at that moment? Because uh, before we spoke about um, FTP, the uh, all files one by one to a server, um, and there must be some has been some evolution on that part as well. Sure. Um, how did you do that at that moment? Um, well, I think the biggest dis disadvantage of copying files one by one is that you don't really have like a version one, and then you suddenly have a version two. It, mm -hmm. In the time of deploying, you're kind of in between stuff. And then if there are actually users on your website or application, then things probably break. So yeah. <laughs> that was kind of an issue. Uh, so one way to fix that would be to create folders on your server. So you have a version one folder and uh, the, the website is running on there. Yeah, And then in the meantime, you create a version two folder mm -hmm. uh, where you can copy over all the files. And then once you're ready... You, you just switch usually a, a symbolic link or something or restart the, 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 the web server with a new path or something like that. And then it pointed to the new folder. So you have a new version of your, your, of website. your website or application live. Okay, yeah. So it's still copying files to the server in some way, but uh, I guess a little more clever. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember that some tools came up in this as well, which... Um, Capistrano was one of them, uh, which kind of automated the the yep. uploads and the deployments and the, and, and the creation of the folders you you were describing. I think I think you're missing a step there, at okay. least in my experience, uh, because between FTP and and, and Capistrano, there was also the period where uh, at some point you you were able to get SSH access to servers, and you would right. go into the server and you do you would type SVN up, which would use Subversion <laughs> to basically update uh, to the latest version of the branch you were in. Uh, mm -hmm. And then, or you would instead of SVN up, you would switch to a different branch. So you would have release branches, and you would right. just switch to the other release, the new release branch, and that was basically your your update. Um, but you would still have a similar system, uh, a problem that that uh, Tiago uh, described earlier, which is during that process of switching and, and updating your your site would be broken it would just uh, it would not work at that point because it would still have old files and new files mixed together which yeah. would throw exceptions and so not even like a, a nice way of uh, it wasn't even exceptions back then but um, there wouldn't be not, not be a good nice way of showing some kind of page it would just mm -hmm. break there yeah. would just be errors and back in those days um, at least in my experience, uh, we weren't really aware yet of things like display errors and stuff. So display errors would probably be on on the production environment. Yeah, so would, yeah, you would course. actually <laughs> see the paths and, yeah. and the files that were breaking and things like that. It's way easier with that on to debug. Yes. Yeah. Well, the thing is, it was just on by default and most hosting providers didn't turn it off back then. Uh, right. These days, yeah. hosting providers are pretty much aware of stuff like that, and they would mm -hmm. they they will yeah. have it turned off by default unless you specifically turn it on. Uh, but back then, it was just turned on by default because that was the default how it how PHP came. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So PHP had even the defaults enabled of show me all the um, debug output you have. To, to be able to debug e uh, yep. problems easy. 
Ja. Oké. En dan Capistrano came. En dan Capistrano. En een couple of uh, variations on Capistrano, but yeah. Ja. Ja. Ik denk. There, there were several of them um, uh, with all kind of languages um, yeah. Yeah. trying to emulate the the way Capistrano handled the, the, the deployments. Um, I think in the PHP world we still have uh, Deployer, which yeah. is um, basically doing the same thing with symlinks and uh, linking uh, directories from the uh, from the previous version. Uh, back to the to the normal version and uh, with shared folders because also you have also your uploads that have to be yep. moved right. uh, yep. between versions. Yeah, um, yeah, interesting stuff. Um, so and now we have this this uh, this fa- uh, virtual box. I remember that. Virtual boxes were also quite slow because they were uh, they were basically running a, a separate operating system on your on your laptop or on right. your desktop. Yep. Um, so it wasn't even possible to have two projects running at the same time. Well, sometimes, um, but you had to have a, a really good computer for that. Yeah. Um, but I've I've worked with uh, uh, with with two or maybe even three virtual boxes at the same time. Um, but then um, you have to tweak the, the the virtual box memory settings so that it wouldn't take too much memory per instance, mm-hmm. uh, and then it would be pos- it would be slow, but it would be possible <laughs> to to have uh, different projects running at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now well, let's step to to what we talked about during the live stream um, Docker. Yeah. Um, which started, I think, about eight years ago or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or is it even longer that we are using Docker? Mm, I don't know for sure. <laughs> I, 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 remember, I remember that I was looking into to, um, Linux containers, um, which is basically the, the technology uh, Docker is based on. It's not really the same thing, but uh, it, it was a way to to have an isolated setup on a Linux machine, um, run, running separate applications in a container, um, and it quite it was quite complex to uh, to set that up. Um, and then I came across some kind of funky website which called uh, which was called Docker. Um, I didn't hear about it before, and um, it, it told me that there was some way to automate container building, which was exactly what I was looking for at that moment. I'm, I don't remember why I was looking uh, into that. Um, but yeah, uh, could one of you explain a bit how how Docker works? Um, or how do you create a, a, a Docker image? Is it just a, a command, or what, what? What is it doing? Well, it's it's kind of magic, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, it seems that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
okay. So the, in in basics, uh, you create a Docker file which specifies basically what base image you want to use, or sometimes you don't use a base image; you just <laughs> create it yourself. Um, um, but instead of having a full virtual machine, basically Docker just launches uh, specific processes mm-hmm. uh, that depends on which platform you use, uh, because uh, basically just specific processes is only on Linux as far as I know. Yeah. Uh, in uh, Both on Mac and on Windows, it will have to run in some kind of virtual machine. Yeah. Uh, but over the years, uh, these virtual machines have become... Uh, very, very tiny layers between the host operating system and, and the guest yeah. operating system. Yeah, so the, the, I, I see still a link between the automated provisioning we had in, in Vagrant and nowadays with the Docker, except that we had a full virtual machine running in the background, oh. uh, which was a full operating system having uh, Apache installed, having PHP installed, or Nginx uh, in um, was installed, and your, of course, your database. Um, so, and now we have different uh, containers running. Uh, each service uh, is running in a separate process, like you expect if you do it right if you do it right <laughs> because oh. it's it's still possible to have one docker container that contains everything um it is possible yeah it's not really how you should do it with docker <laughs> uh but it uh, uh I, i've definitely seen projects uh that had one docker container set up and that docker container contained apache and a php and a, and a database uh and uh, memcache everything in a single single uh, docker container it would basically just run linux a sort of virtual machine in docker yeah exactly it is possible but the whole idea behind docker of course is uh, that that you don't do that uh, that you create separate small containers that just run one single service mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay um and when you have this docker container how would you deploy that to to a server um, do we still have to uh, upload files or how does it work well it depends there are a couple of ways of course um, one of the ways is just run docker on the server mm-hmm. uh, you the same way you can run it on your local machine you can also run it on a server and then it just works fine um, but of course when you uh, when you create a docker uh, image so you you build from a certain point and then you install some tools uh, and also the files. Um, the, the result of that building step, you actually want to save and uh, you want to have an exact copy of, of that save on the server. Otherwise mm-hmm. it would be yeah. uh, something on your local machine would differ from something on the production machine. Um, so you would build an image uh, and there's there's a couple of ways again, but uh, uh, one way is to to have this automated, um, to have the same Docker setup as you have locally, then include all the files you need, um, and then create a new image from that. And yeah. that image is kind of like a, well, you can see it of like a compiled binary of your uh, product basically, and uh, just have that run on the on the on the production server. Oh, that sounds great. great. And yeah. 
So we don't have to upload any files anymore. Um, we know that we are deploying the exact same version as we have tested on the local machine. Yep. Um, and it would even be possible to uh, to push those images to to multiple environments, as because you will have multiple customers or um, uh, a separation between your staging and uh, and production environment. Sure. Which could share the same image. There's no need to to have multiple Docker images for that, right? That, that's that's amazing, and, and there, there's no there are no issues with versioning uh, anymore. So basically, we can just swap back to to a different Docker version. Or are there any complexities there as well? Well, there are, of course, there's always complexities. Uh, things like configuration. Uh, in the early days, you would have configuration files per environment. Uh, and uh, so, so you would have different physical or physical different files on the file system uh, that contained the information. And you, if you accidentally uploaded your configuration, your local configuration file to production, then uh, production broke down. Um, with Docker, um, um, and, and you mentioned that in the in the in the live stream as well. With Docker, uh, you can easily use environment variables for things like that. Uh, so that the configuration, you cannot accidentally upload a file anymore and break everything because it's not part of a file anymore. It's mm-hmm. it's now part of yeah. it, of the environment where you're running your your Docker uh, instance. So so, but that, that's things that you need to keep in mind when you're developing your project because of course you can still, if you want to, you can still use files for configuration. Yeah. Um, but if you use a setup like this. Um, there is another easier way to manage things like that. Yeah, and of course we'll have something with Kubernetes, which is also uh, very popular in these yeah. days. Yeah. And I think that will also be a, a separate topic because um, I, we, we can talk about another half an hour about uh, all the possibilities with um, uh, Kubernetes as well. Yeah. Yeah, and, and what about the sharing between colleagues? Um, is it also possible? How do you control this this uh, docker file can we just check it in in, in our um, check it in that's that's subversion again <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, we're still on subversion we're still on subversion <laughs> wow um, <clears throat> so you could actually commit those those uh, uh, docker files right because they are just text files which we can share and copy and paste and, and stuff like that so basically we're there it's it's kind of easy right now to to upload and deploy your applications. Um, no more security issues with uh, wrong configured PHP anymore. No more problems uh, to to spin up your dev environment. Just a few commands to to get started. So uh, onboarding a new colleague must be kind of easy. In theory, yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've seen. I still seen uh, seen situations where it took quite a while to get someone onboarded. It had to do maybe with slight differences between how Windows handles things and Linux handles things and Mac handles things, uh, or uh, sometimes uh, base images um, that that were deleted in the meantime uh, between the the original 
creation of the project. Uh-huh. Um, Just like with things like Composer, uh, also with Docker, if you use base images, public base images, then uh, it's important to be to pin down on a specific version yeah. uh, because uh, there's a major difference between uh, MySQL versions, for instance, uh, where things sometimes are not compatible. So you need to pin it down to the exact version that you set up your project for uh, to to prevent problems. Um, so it's still something that that you need you still need to be aware of some of the pitfalls uh but you know we've come a long way since the original uh situation where you had to ftp uh files to the server and and things like that this the the current situation is so much easier yeah yeah of course you will have still have some weird setups sometimes uh with all kind of um, ugly hooks that need to be taken um, to to get things working, but um, things have been improved. And well, of course, we have different problems now from uh, from what we had in the days back then. But yeah, it, it, it is easier, right? I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. So thank you a lot for this conversation. I uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, um, I hope um, the others did as well. Um, if you like this uh, podcast um, and want to support uh, Ingewikkeld by uh, just a, a small amount of money, um, please become a Patreon. Um, you will also get access to the archive of our live streams. So if you missed our live stream about Docker, um, you will be able to um, see that uh, in your own time, uh, as many times as you want. Our next session will be a panel discussion. I know Stefan um, will host that one. Yep. Um, can you shortly tell something about that? Yeah, so the basic idea is that we're going to talk about um, starting with programming um and uh, we have guests uh that that have all kinds of different roles so we have someone that has uh, that's still uh, a student and and learning to program uh we have someone uh who is, is teaching programming so it's looking looking at it more from the education point of view and we'll have someone that is more from a, a leadership or management perspective looking at how should i support my developers to to learn things or how can i for instance hire a junior developer and make sure that that junior developer gets uh to a higher level at some point uh, and then we're going to talk about different subjects related to that, about uh, uh, aimed at uh, starting developers for them to understand um, uh, how can I how can I learn to program, but also for organizations or for people that want to help uh, with okay how how can we support people that are learning to program? Uh, so th- that's basically what we're going to talk about. Okay. Oh. Um, if people are interested to um, see this live conversation, um, check our website, ingewickeld.dev slash sessions. Um, there you will find all the information about the uh, exact, exact time and date. Uh, so uh, please be there. And um, I will see you. Um, I hope to hear from you next time um, during a live session. 
Thanks for listening and bye. That's it for this month. Thanks for listening. If you like what we're doing, please share our links on social media. Also, please subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast app and follow us on YouTube. And you can also support us financially on patreon.com slash ingewikkeld. See you next month.